You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Howdy there, folks, and welcome into Millennial Money. We got Graham, Andre, and myself in the house here tonight. We're going to talk about a lot, uh, a lot to get into. Oil prices are going crazy. Bitcoins are going beast mode all of a sudden out of nowhere. Uh, a lot of stuff happening, obviously, in the stock market, a lot of drama there, and uh, many other various things, including Target raising minimum wage to $24. we got a lot to talk about, including our sponsor for today. Thank you for that, FTX. We appreciate you. Graham and Andre, howdy, gentlemen. How are you doing? Hey, what's I, uh, Jeremy, I got, my, my internet work today is better than a potato. It <laughs> is. Oh, my gosh. I could see you, Graham. Did you get a haircut? I saw, no, I didn't. Oh, I did. What's up? No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, you literally just asked him that so you could brag about your haircut. No, right? no. I, le I legit thought he actually did get a haircut. I really oh, did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, Andre, I noticed we basically have the same haircut, just going the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> my evil twin, man. Yeah, pretty much. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's like, Hey, did you get a new car? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, I did. I did. You see <laughs> <that>? Ferrari? <laughs> oh gosh. Alrighty guys. So we're ready to get into, uh, so we, we did this last week and we're going to do it again this week. Uh, a lot of you guys enjoyed it. Kind of keep us a little more on track. We got a lot to get into in this video. First thing we're looking at here, then we'll get into overtime is Bitcoin. Look at this run over this past week. Wow. Jeez, from 34k to you know, here today, it's right around 44. That's quite a run in a matter of a few few days. There, uh, any take on that, gentlemen? So, Jeremy, yeah. this right here is called a remittance, and it's happening in real time. And you were like, "What's the value of Bitcoin?" I don't understand. <laughs> well, there you go. There it is. It's true. Yeah, because uh, what the belief is is essentially, especially with the the most recent spike. Uh, for folks who don't keep up with this is uh, with the Russia situation, if, if you aren't up to up to date on that, uh, Russia is being basically kind of cut out of the financial system altogether right now as we speak. And so if you have a lot of money um, in Russian currency or just in Russia in general, a lot of those folks are moving their money to cryptocurrency right now. Bitcoin, obviously, is always going to be the big, biggest beneficiary of that. But folks are just looking to get out of the Russian currency and get into uh, put that money into crypto. And it is creating a great thing for Bitcoin and for crypto. So quick, quick, uh, quick thing here is has Russia been officially cut off of SWIFT? Because I know they talked about it for a really long time. Yes. Has it finally happened officially? Yes. Right, okay. Jeremy? Uh, from my understanding, it's yeah. partially happened. Uh, they've it's cut off some. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, some financial institutions, but from my understanding, they haven't cut off 100% yet. Um, and the reason that they haven't yet is, to my understanding, the main reason is because of Germany. Germany will suffer the most because it gets its oil from Russia. And if Russia's cut off, then Germany suffers a ton without access to oil. So that's partially why they haven't been, I think, all across the board cut off of SWIFT. And it's also kind of like the last resort that, you know, countries want to use against Russia because the last thing you want to do is back Mr. Vladimir Putin into a corner, a guy with nukes. That's the last thing you want to do. You want to always feel like you want to make him feel like he has choices and options. And uh, that's kind of like our nuclear scenarios. It's just the swift option. But so far, to my understanding, is they haven't officially got rid of swift, but they have for a lot of things. Um, yeah. And there's a lot more shaking around the European markets. Like, uh, for instance, yesterday, a lot of the European indexes were down, uh, you know, 3.8%, 3.7%. So yep. they're they're actually uh, facing a much tougher time as you went into there, Andre, especially because the energy situation is it's and that and, and also, uh, so I spoke to my uncle, I spoke to my grandpa, and uh, basically the Russian economy, by the way, they live in Russia. So the, the Russian economy is collapsing right now. It is like horribly bad. And what they're experiencing or what they're about to experience is hyperinflation, right? Because right now the exchange rate is like 105 rubles for every $1. Um, and before, I think before this conflict started, it was floating around the 70s, which was already bad. It was like an all-time low. And now it's even worse. And what that means is the supplies that they have, well, first of all, Russia's already been cut off of trade, right? So they've been internationally cut off. So now it's very difficult for them to get supplies. So the only real thing Russia really manufactures is oil and gas. Those are their two primary uh, exports. And so right now, whatever commodities or food or anything they have in the grocery stores is basically disappearing because people are preparing for the worst. So it's kind of like if you remember the Roni Rona situation where everyone went out and they started to buy all the toilet paper and there, there was nothing there. There was nothing on the shelves. And that's exactly what's going on in Russia, except for food and all the necessities right now. And so whatever is left, people are buying up and they're also potentially reselling it. So you can imagine then the price of these goods exponentially increase. So they have hyperinflation and it's only going to get worse because this is just the beginning of it. Yeah, so. then that, that's that's amazing because you think about, you know, what this does to the Russian people. It's obviously a horrible situation for them. And so if you're Putin now you got this invasion you're doing, right, which you need your, your full concentration on. But also if things are a mess in your home country right now, uh, gosh, that, that's a lot. To, that's a lot on your hands at one time. Yeah, it, yeah. it sucks because I, I think I think he's embarrassed the country a lot. And it's it's sad because the, the people of Russia are not for this. They're like protesting. They're being arrested. It's. It's just an unfortunate situation. And it's I think it's only going to get worse because from what I understand, he's bringing more military into Ukraine. And, uh, it's 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 crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be tough to recover uh, after something this this devastating. For yeah. their economy. I mean, for, for the entire economy over there is, is, is going to be difficult. Yeah. So so tying this back into Bitcoin, you know, the reason that Bitcoin is going up in value so much is because people are putting their currency, you know, they're, they're buying Bitcoin with rubles if they can, um, just to make sure that their their money is holding value, because right now it's constantly dropping every single day. Now, the problem, though, is like I've seen a lot of articles saying like, oh, Bitcoin is going to save Russia and Ukraine and like it's going to save their economies. 
And the truth is it, it's not going to save them really. It, it might save a few people that have the technology and access and the know-how to convert their currencies, but that's a few, that's the minority of both countries from Russia and Ukraine. And also because Russia has been cut off globally, it becomes nearly impossible to then convert your Bitcoin to a usable currency. So even if you were to buy with your rubles into Bitcoin, you wouldn't be able to convert it back very easily. You would have to literally flee the country, which you can't because their borders are locked. So and not to mention the fact that their banks have like to prevent a bank run, which is when everyone all the time goes to bank, right, and withdraws their money. The banks have limited withdrawals to $20 a day. So they are, they are fighting against that run on the bank and that collapse by limiting the withdrawals. So even if you have Bitcoin, it's it you can't really do much with it. Like th there's no merchants that accept it there. It, it's just like a thing you show on your phone. You're like, hey, I'm rich. It's like, <laughs> oh, good luck. Go. You can't buy anything with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, makes me so think that, that a, a lot of folks will that have the means to do it will are just kind of looking at it from the perspective of I'll put my money in anything other than you know my my own currency. So Bitcoin seems like a great option, yeah. and it makes me think. I wonder how many. Uh, U.S. folks or investors in general are looking at this and thinking, my gosh, you know, how many, uh, let's say, wealthier Russian folks are going to do this over the next several weeks? And maybe Bitcoin's also moving up because a lot of folks are trying to time that out. And they say maybe there's a all these folks are, are going to flush their money into Bitcoin over the next two, three, four weeks. And uh, maybe Bitcoin moves back to, to 50K, 60K. So I bet well, yeah. here's it's what I'm really curious about, though. How do we know exactly how much of this price is due to Russia versus how much is the anticipation of, of people moving into Bitcoin because they see central banks taking action and they think, well, if I put my money in Bitcoin, then the banks aren't going to be able to you know, cut it down or anything like that. I'm, I'm thinking more of this is due to mere speculation on the fact that they don't want a centralized currency less than people in Russia moving their money over to Bitcoin. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I can't. Probably a bit of both. Yeah, it's probably a bit of both. But that's therein lies the problem. Is like you, you just mentioned, rich Jeremy, and that's exactly who is doing it. It's the people yeah. that have excess wealth that are able to convert that wealth into crypto, but then still have the liquid wealth to pay for their lifestyle, right? Whereas most co common ordinary people, they don't have like an excess wealth that they've saved up that they can convert. So it's kind of a moot point. It doesn't do anything for them. And did you guys see a lot of the Russian billionaires are, are moving their yachts to, I think it's the Maldives right now. So they yeah. are yacht jacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I th who was it that, that stole or like that kept a few of the yachts? I saw one at least. I forget which country it was, but it was like. Oh, I didn't see that. Wow. Yeah, one yacht was at least kept. Dang. Yeah, <laughs> yacht jacked. Imagine that. And then, and then that young kid who's tracking. Uh, uh, what was it? He was Elon Musk jet. jet yep. yep. And then now what is he tracking? He's tracking the he's tracking like, the oligarchs. Yes. Yep. 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 A lot of the Russian billionaires. He's tracking their jets now too. <laughs> Dude, that kid's a genius. I know. Oh my gosh. So uh, yeah, quite a, quite an interesting situation. But nonetheless, it seems like this is a very bullish thing um, for crypto, at least in the short term, maybe even longer term. Uh, but certainly in the short term and for uh, once again, I, I know, you know, uh, a lot of countries around the world, a lot of folks look at this uh, situation that's going on in Russia and they're like, could this happen to my country? So um, it's usually not a fear we have as much in the States or maybe in, in most of Europe, but um, it definitely is a little scary. Um, so, 
yeah, it could be a long-term bullish thing there. All right, Alex, we're ready for next one up here. Mortgage oh, rates. I saw this one. <laughs> yeah, I really want your opinion on this one, Graham. So mortgage rates, I guess, were about uh, 4.18 on Friday, and then all the way down to 3.9 Tuesday. And I'd love you to just talk us through, like, why does this happen? Um, you know, like, like, why such? That's a pretty big move in such a short amount of time. Like, why does that happen? How often do you pay attention to this? Yeah, I mean, I see it weekly. I really don't pay attention to the daily fluctuations. Um, but what's interesting with this is that with with a whole bunch of conflict, people are turning to the 10-year treasury. So a lot of these mortgage rates are, are based on the 10-year treasury yield, which is going to be influenced by supply and demand. And if you have a whole bunch of investors who want to plow their money into the 10-year treasury because they see it as a safe haven, then what that's going to do is drive down the yield because they, they, they won't have to pay as much interest to attract investors. So when that yield goes down in the 10-year treasury, that influences mortgage rates, which also happen to go down. So the more demand there is for a 10-year treasury, the lower the rate goes, the lower mortgages go. But the opposite could happen if all of a sudden uh, investors stop buying the 10-year treasury, the rates have to go up, and then all of a sudden mortgages go up. So it, it's quite interesting because I, I see this if you're looking to buy a house, you know, do you think mortgage rates are going to go lower? Maybe not. Uh, and so from that perspective, maybe it's better to buy a house right now in a lock and a low interest rate. Uh, so, Jeremy, you're talking about, you know, refinancing your house. Well, you know, if, if you have the ability to lock in right now, you're locking in a lot less. Well, not a lot less, but you're locking in less than it would have cost you a week and a half ago. Yep. So from that perspective, you know, it's making real estate slightly more attractive for the time being. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And uh, it's interesting because they bring out here, you know, we're about to get in the busy spring uh, season for for home buying. Uh, the, the question I have is like, how many homes are really out there in the market? If we're going to have a busy spring season, inventory still seems really low. You, you guys have a perspective? You, there? you know what's crazy? Uh, for, I just have a friend who um, bought a house. He's building a new house. It's new construction. And I remember when I was trying to buy inside of your guys's community at the time, I didn't have the money at the time. So I couldn't buy it, but I remember that they told me I wouldn't be able to lock in my rates until the house was fully built. So on new constructions, you cannot lock in the rate until the house is fully finished. Correct. And that friend of mine, he went with the builder for his loan because they offer you perks and incentives and things like that. So what's crazy to me is like, since real estate is moves typically a lot slower, uh, it's crazy that rates are still, I mean, they're still relatively high, like 4%. And the prices haven't had a time to really adjust lower because the demand is still there. So it's crazy because not only are you paying inflated prices on real estate, but you're also paying a lot on the interest rate of the loan. It's, it's, yeah. it's like a crazy world we live in because usually you would have the two opposing forces that are balancing each other out. But right now we have both of them going up. It's crazy. Yeah, but real estate lags. Like interest rates could shoot up, let's just say hypothetically, to 10% tomorrow. You're not going to see that reflected in the home price the next day. Real right. estate, what I've noticed, it typically will lag by a few months to sometimes six months, sometimes eight months. It depends on the turnover in the area. If it's an area where people are actively buying and selling every month, you're going to see that a lot quicker than an area where people stay and live in their homes for seven to 10 years each. And it's rare a home comes on the market. So from that perspective, whatever happens today, well, you'll, you'll usually start to see the effects months from now. 
Uh, so shouldn't we see a decline in home value? I, I feel like we should have seen a decline in home values by now since rates have started to go up at least a couple months ago. Yeah. But yes and no, because there's so many different factors when it comes to housing prices. Interest rates are only one factor out of, let's say, like five. Because then you have the local economy, you have the supply and demand, you have the, the, right. the income for the area, um, how many houses are available on the market. At that, there's, there's so many different things. And interest rates is only like, you know, it's like you have a, you know, a chair with four legs. Interest rates are one of them. So just right. because one of those legs is affected, you still have the other three that could be like really supportive. So interest rates are, are part of it, but usually they, they raise interest rates during times where the economy is doing overall well. Uh, uh, Incomes are going up for the most part. We know inflation is high, but then people see real estate as a safe haven for the most part. So you have all these things that are kind of counteracting higher interest rates. Ultimately, I do think if the economy dwindles, if people pull back, if interest rates are going up at the same time, yes, that will impact values. But to what degree? Couldn't really say. I, I don't think there's any sort of crash uh, that you would see on that. And if anything, it would be very gradual. That's what I think. Yeah. Speaking of, I was going to say, I still feel like home values will end higher this year than where they started. Every real estate analyst has mentioned the, the lowest that I've seen. I think it was like Zillow, Redfin, CoreLogic, Real, the Realtor Association. I've looked over all of them. I think the lowest was like a 3% increase mm -hmm. year over yeah. year. But then you kind of balance that out with inflation. So you're not really seeing much, but it is still going up. The highest I think I saw was like 15. seven or 10. Yeah, it was, like, it was something it was something crazy. So if you take the average of them, you know, you're probably about 8%. Whatever inflation is, is probably about going to be what you're going to see for for appreciation. But uh, we'll see. I saw I saw one the other day that was a uh, 20% for Arizona. It was just like a local one, you know, and, and who knows if that comes true or not. It's just when, you know, I feel like everything's going up. People just, you know, throw any I number like, out I there. I feel like builders put that on the blogs all the time. It's estimated that real estate yeah. in this area will go up by 20%. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then at the bottom, there's an asterisk based on personal opinion, <laughs> <laughs> not financial advice. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Sp speaking about inflation, let's see that next slide, Alex, because that's an interesting one. Look at this, guys. Oh, wow. You know what? With $24 an hour, that means you could buy cryptocurrency, all thanks to the sponsor of today's video, FTX. They're one of the largest and most complete U.S. regulated cryptocurrency exchanges in the world with more than 6 million users who buy, sell, trade, and track both NFTs and cryptocurrencies all in one place for less than the competition. And they have no minimum fees on transactions, no ACH, I can't say that, ACH fees, no withdrawal fees, and no NFT fees on the Ethereum and Solana collections. So if you are interested in this, the link is down below in the description. They're supporting the channel. They help us out tremendously. And uh, I'm a fan of FTX. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, by the way, I think I mentioned this last time. If you want to see, in my opinion, one of the coolest CEOs out there, he's in his 20s. Uh, he lives with a whole bunch of guys in the Bahamas, and this guy is so passionate about uh, about cryptocurrency. Just watch one of his interviews. But anyway, they're the ones that are sponsoring this episode. So, how was that for a transition, Jeremy? You didn't even yeah, tell me awesome. that. I'm just, That's really good. That was as smooth as smooth can be. You, you so didn't see that coming, there, did you? I did not. So make sure you check out that link in the description, guys, for FTX. We do appreciate Thank you guys always. 
Yes. So Target uh, going to raise minimum wage to as much as 24 hours in some markets. They already have a starting wage of $15 an hour. And I always think about where, like, where is this $24 going to be? What state? That's going to be in the, the more competitive market. So I would assume probably at markets like New LA, York. New York. Yeah. It, it yeah. says it right here in the thing. It says places like New York. Yeah. Okay. So my gosh, man, you're, you're talking about, whew, you know, that's a serious number. I mean, you know, for what in a cashier, imagine collecting baskets in the parking lot and you're making $24 an hour. Jeez. That's, that's Hold no on. Joke. I'm looking at the hourly rate right now in Fred St. Louis fed. I know this is a lagging indicator, but still, um, <laughs> wow. Okay. So January, 2022 is $31 and 63 cents per hour is uh, total private sector right now. So $24, that's not that far off. Jeez. No, Jeez. That's quite a number, and it shows how competitive the market is for uh, work right now. And I know, I'm sure you guys see it sometimes. You go to a grocery store or whatever, and they're like, "We're doing uh, on-site, uh, you know, applications and interviews today." And it's just like, you know, and I think Graham, you mentioned something about Home Depot was was hired oh. on the spot, or what was yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, next day work. So if you want to apply at Home Depot, they have a program where basically, if you want to start work the next day, you could do that. I like that. I think anybody who wants to go and work, why wait? If, if they're capable for the job, start them off immediately. Everyone wins. But you know, you know what's crazy? The, the wage price spiral, that just kind of feeds into it. Like as, as cool as this is, all it does is it contributes to the rise in prices, right? Because now Target's going to charge more for everyday things. And then that's going to contribute to the inflation metric. And then that's going to force them to increase, you know, their rate rates again. And it, it's like this, this vicious cycle back and yeah. forth. So until we're starting to see it Jerome, play out. Until Jerome Powell is there and stops it. And he does that by raising rates a little bit too quick. People get spooked. They start to scale back. The market yeah. starts falling. People stop spending as much. We see a recession. I, I think something like that could but even that is debatable, right? Even people are saying that the Fed could, it's totally possible that it could lose its grip on inflation and that it, there's not much it can do to stop inflation. And, and considering how bad things are right now, if Jerome com comes out you know, this month and he's like, hey, I'm raising rates by a quarter percent, I feel like everyone's going to lose faith and, and, and they're just going to be like, okay, cool. We're just going to have insane inflation this year. Because what's a quarter percent increase? So... Yeah, uh, five to nine rate hikes is uh, pretty customary on Wall Street now from all the big banks between five and nine. So, uh, yeah, even if you took the even if you took the worst metric of that nine, right, mm -hmm. nine quarter point increases, that's still two point two five percent rate increases to the federal fund rate. So, OK, so we have a two point two five percent federal fund rate. What are mortgage rates going to be on top of that? Like uh, plus two percent from where they are now. So maybe six percent average. Um, that's still that's still not going to combat inflation, really. No, I don't think you're going to have six percent mortgages anytime soon. Yeah. If if you increase the federal fund rate two to three percent, you I don't much have to. No, you're not going to you're not going to federal funds rate. It, let's say they raise it quarter of a percent. They do that five times. We're, we're not going to we're not going to. It's going to be such a long time if that ever happens. If you got to remember, we're at zero right now, and and uh, the mortgage rate is already at you know three to four percent average. Yeah. You know, if you look, it's, it's again, all of this is kind of hypothetical, but if you look at the federal funds rate over the last 30 years, they've never been able to raise it past the previous high. It's, it's like, it's like stairs going down yeah. and every single time they'll raise it up, barely hits where it did before they uh, raise it back. Then. I'm curious if that's going to continue. 
Yeah. I know I was talking to my dad the other night and he said um the first house they got, they were at uh ten point five percent interest rate or something like that, he was saying. And he said uh on the second house they got, they were at uh like an eight percent rate and then they refinanced to get it down to like seven percent over time. And I was just thinking like how insane those numbers sound because we're so used to like three percent on a mortgage right now. Okay, but but the, the upside to that is that if the federal fund rate gets to that point, you would imagine then that the 10-year bond would be, I don't know, like somewhere where it's like 5 to 7%, let's say. I would gladly lock my money away at 5 to 7% in bonds. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, man. I don't know about you guys. Like, I would I would be cool with not putting my money in the stock market and just locking it away. I, at I don't think – think of how much – well – I mean, it really depends on inflation, too, because it, it's hard to look at interest rates without taking into consideration the inflation rate. But you also have to think the national debt is going to cost a lot of money if interest rates increase to that point. They're going to be paying a lot of interest because right now they could start to dwindle that away with inflation and make it you know, a little less of an issue. No, but so, all they have to do is just loan themselves more money, right? The, 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 the national debt doesn't mean yes. anything. If we could continue just raising you know, correct. more bonds. That is correct. But... Um, I don't know. You see, you also see other countries implement negative rates, and I don't think there's anything that says that will never happen here in the U.S. Yeah, Kevin seems yeah. to think that's where we're going. Where he says this for sure going to happen: negative rates, just like it happened in Japan. And yeah, that could happen. Yeah, and if rates do go up, and we ever get the those beautiful savings account numbers of let's say four percent, six percent type returns on a savings account or, or CD or whatever. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, ultimately, there would be some folks that think like you there, Andre, where they're like, I don't need to put money in crypto or I don't need to put money in stocks because, yeah. you know, why take that risk? I'm guaranteed. I mean, to think get about that, right? If, if the stock market average is a 7% return, 7 to 10% per year on average, and if bonds are yielding 7%, why would I risk my money in the stock market for a maybe equal to 7% if I can get a guaranteed rate of return of 7% in the bond market? Plus, stock market typically doesn't do as well when bonds are doing well. So if, if bonds are at 7%, you would, you would just assume the stock market's not going to do as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that would obviously uh, not be a great thing for uh, stocks. I mean, for somebody like myself, it doesn't matter as much because I'm picking individual stocks that have like specific stories. But for the indexes as a whole, it would definitely make things a lot more undervalued than they're at now. And I think if we ever saw that, Andre... You know what I think would make a massive return is mm. something that's kind of died uh, recently is dividend investing. I think a lot of companies that never consider paying dividends would all of a sudden be like, shoot, man, we got to pay a dividend to attract shareholders. I think companies yeah. like Google would, would start paying dividends. Companies like Facebook, you know, um, and, and just all the small caps and mid caps that are profitable would say, you know what? We got to start paying dividends because you got to point. I feel like we're already at that point where dividends are already doing really well. Like I looked at my SPHD, which is one of my dividend indexes that I've invested in. And it was up 5% um, uh, as of the time of say, I think it was Monday or Sunday when I was filming my video and the S&P 500 was down 5%. So like not only am I being paid dividends, I'm also up against the index, which is crazy. So I, I think people are realizing that like in a market that's, you know, scared and fearful, it's like cash flow is where it's at. Oh, 100%. Now, yeah. Now, here's what's interesting because I did look this up. So apparently since the 1950s, when 10-year treasury yield is over 5%, the market has gone down substantially. But then after that, the bond yield tends to go back down and the stocks will rally back up. So it does yeah. seem as though 
in almost, oh, except for in the 1970s during runaway inflation. That was the only time where bond yields went up alongside the stock market. Mm. And that is from the Blue Collar Investor website. Yeah, but but bonds have have um, you know different maturity rates, right? So if you can get oh, a seven year bond, ten year treasury. Okay, so ten year. Okay, so I mean, if ten if years. still though, like if you could lock your money up for ten years at a seven percent, that's that's not bad, even if the stock market goes up at after that. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know one thing I do know is rates would have to go up substantially to make us even consider that. I think I think you probably have to get to at least yeah. a four percent number, right? Here's- no. The one thing that is worth mentioning, though, is that uh, when bond, when Treasury yields have gone over 5%, that typically marks what has been, at least according to this, you know, I'll, I'll text it to you guys, and maybe, maybe we could try to put it up on the screen, that typically corresponded with the bottom of the market, again, except for the 1970s. So you could see in 1969, 1974, both of those would have been, instead of locking your money in at you know, 5% or whatever, that was the time to buy stocks. Yeah. Wow. 70s, yeah. yeah, the 70s had a screw well, Hopefully we don't get 70s style inflation because that right. would be terrifying. But, but see, that's the tough part to predict because you could look at this and you could say, well, every single time it happened and that's the best time to buy stocks. you know. And then, of course, you get a 70s style event where it's like, well, that proves otherwise. Here you go. So it, it's almost like, you know, sure, you could look back at all these things and yes, maybe, you know, they've been true sometimes in the past, but nothing is guaranteed. So as soon as you think you're onto a pattern, it's like, well, there's the 1970s. You're wrong. Rug pull. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Crazy. Yeah. So, wow, that was a good chart. Uh, Alex, uh, th- these next two slides are, are part of uh, this this Target story about their uh, their their uh, hiking of minimum wage, which I thought was interesting because when I saw you know Target raising that minimum wage like that, I was thinking, well, it must be because they're losing workers or something. Look at this. Target, which has roughly 1,900 stores and 350,000 employees in the U.S., noted that the turnover rate among its employees is actually now lower than what it, where it was before the pandemic, which is crazy. And mm-hmm. um, that's just like crazy to think about, especially when you consider like, uh, you know, how many people have been changing jobs recently. And so the fact that their turnover rate, which means, you know, employees leaving and having to rehire or whatever, um, is lower than it was before the pandemic. I was, I was actually shocked at that. And I don't know if that's just targets knocking out of the ballpark or what's going on there, but I was really impressed. Yeah. Targets had insane sales lately. They're, yeah. they're a fantastic store. They have everything that you need. There's a Target everywhere. I uh, I like Target a lot. I love Target too. Uh, yeah, well, Target's the best because they have the biggest selection of tattoo chef you can get it. <laughs> Any store <laughs> going to go there, man, and by a mile. Okay, and Target. That's where Jeremy man. hangs out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to find Jeremy, just go to a <laughs> go to a go to a Target the frozen food aisle. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing his hoodie. pictures of people oh that person i saw them buy one right there it's in their basket oh gosh but this is this is interesting Uh, alex if we go to the next slide too because um so i worked at at quick trip obviously back in the day and quick trip was always recognized as one of the better uh, large like workplaces to work at and quick trips philosophy was um paying your employees actually substantially more than they could get anywhere else in the industry and you see a move like Target's making there where upping some markets to like uh, oh, the close up to some markets to, uh, you know, $24 an hour. And 
I wonder if companies are going to start catching on to this because I think one of the quick trips competitive advantages over time was just the fact that they would pay a lot more. So you would get employees that are more productive that would go more out of their way for a customer and make sure situations are handled properly and work their tails off. And, um, yeah, you know, so it's just, it's interesting to kind of see that. I think at the end of the day, if you pay people, uh, more, you're going to acquire a better talent and you'll retain them longer and you won't have that turnover and have to constantly retrain, retrain and retrain again. So, um, I don't know if you guys have an opinion on that. I, I don't know how much you guys were in the workforce. Cause I know Graham, you, you got started in real estate really young. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't think you, you really worked for many big companies. I don't know. You didn't either Andre, right? You never worked. I, actually, for big I held two retail jobs. The first one was at a magic shop here on the strip. So there was a chain of, of magic shops called Houdini's and okay. I was being paid, I want to say $8 and 50 cents. That was my starting rate. And I think I topped out, I, I was just in high school. I hit like $9. That was my peak there, which wow. is, is crazy, right? Now people are getting 24. And then the second <laughs> job I held retail was actually Abercrombie and Fitch. So I worked there Ooh. for like a summer, I want to say, or like six months. So that was that was an interesting experience for sure. But I can't imagine making $24 working a retail job. Like that's amazing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, no, no doubt. But, uh, you know, what, what's your guys take on, on, you know, the subject of uh, paying more uh, for employees or, or workers and retaining them? Do you think it's worth it in the end? Do you think it's not worth it? Probably. I think I think it would be worth it to, to keep the people you have versus find somebody else. You have to think for something like that, especially in retail. I know from friends who've owned small businesses. I mean, definitely not the size of a target, but their turnover is is you know, every six months they have to rehire out new people because they're paying close to a minimum wage plus plus a little bit. But it's, you know, that's seen. It's very hard to have loyalty uh, in the workforce at that price because someone is obviously going to shop themselves around. They're going to look for a better offer and uh, they're unlikely to stay long term. If everyone's being paid a ton. Do they have loyalty still if they know they could find the equivalent pay pretty much anywhere else? I don't know. I, 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 think, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think if, you, if you're if you getting more than you can get other places, I think that's where, where it really matters. But it reminds me of, Graham, you have a, I know you have an interesting perspective on renting real estate. That I don't know how many people have heard this. But your, your perspective is, I would rather charge a little under market to keep a good tenant then charge above market or rate at market to uh, potentially have bad tenants. And it kind of reminds me of a similar philosophy yeah. to companies that pay pay more to their employees because they're like, I'd rather uh, not have a troubling employee and have somebody that does a great job. So, because that's your perspective yeah. on real estate, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering if they're doing the same cost benefit analysis and they probably internally done the math and they're like, if we pay this, we're going to save a lot on training. People are going to stay longer. They're going to be better and they can afford it. Target's making so much money. Yeah. And when, you know, at Quick Trip, for instance, when I got hired there, I was uh, 21 years old as an overnight assistant manager. And I had for three weeks, um, uh, and what's called an IT, like an initial trainer, train me. Now, that person made like $75,000 a year. And they spent three weeks just with me training me. So like, it's very important when you got somebody that's making, especially back then, that might be like hundred K now, uh, but somebody that was making 75,000 to spend three weeks with somebody training them up. And that's all they're doing. They better, uh, you better keep that employee. Uh, but that training goes, goes a long way as well. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting, uh, perspective and not all companies get it because 
they look at that and they're like, man, that's expensive to spend all that time on training, to spend all that time on wages. That's so much money. Um, but if you retain them for years and they do a kick butt job for you, you know, it actually ends up being kind of water under the bridge. I wonder if retail will ever catch up to some of the tech uh, kind of careers where I don't know if you guys have seen like so many of the tech companies are putting in like ping pong tables and just like <laughs> cool workplaces where it's just like, hey, you go here and hang out. And I feel like if they borrowed some of that perspective, that, that would really help retain people too. If they had more of a cool like work culture. Yeah. But overall, I feel like it's a really interesting money experiment because on one hand, it, it's cool to give people what they want, but also all of this comes at a cost, right? And the yeah. cost like everything just becomes more expensive. And so is your raise really worth having if it doesn't match inflation? I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting experiment. You know who would be dangerous if he worked at a tech company and they had a ping pong table there? <laughs> is uh, He might be watching this. Shout out to Jack, okay? Wow, <laughs> if, dude, if, if Jack can get anything done, if there was yeah. a ping pong table at a workplace, he would just be playing. His manager would come over like, Jack, have you worked today? <laughs> yeah, I'm working a little bit. That's true. I actually outsource that to the other employee. <laughs> if Jack and I play ping pong and we play 10 games, I'll be lucky to win three. Like, I could I could win maybe three games out of those ten. He's gotten that good. Yeah, so good. Wow. He should be he should be working, but he's playing ping pong apparently. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to the next uh, slide here, Alex. <laughs> oh, this is an interesting one. I'd love to hear your perspective on this one, Andre. So, Nvidia hackers are selling software to bypass a. Ethereum hash rate limiter. What in the world is going on here? Yeah, the LHR, right? The the limiter. Um, so basically what this is is uh in 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 every NVIDIA chip that they're producing, they have this this new thing they're putting into it that recognizes when that computer chip is being used for mining. So if it senses that this is being used for Ethereum to mine, you know, crypto then it lowers its hash rate, but from what my understanding by half. So, you know, if it's like, oh, wait, you just put this into a, a miner. Okay, we're lowering your hash rate by half. And, and the reason they're doing this is to discourage, you know, crypto people from buying up so many of these computer chips, because that's the reason people can't get any is because it's so popular and so prominent amongst miners. So if you limit their capacity and their production, then hopefully it discourages them because then those computer chips become not as profitable. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, 
visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And that's yeah, basically what that, that is. That makes sense. And, and so, but this is this is a tricky thing because are they actually talking about the real Ethereum or is it it's a different Ethereum? They're, they're talking uh, about here? A, a bypass the Ethereum light hash rate? Is that like the same thing or... or? Yeah, so that's what I was confused about too. So, because when I first read this article, I was like, "Wait, Ethereum or Ethereum Lite?" Because Ethereum Lite is actually a separate crypto um, ticker symbol Elite, and it's going for 0. 0.0075. So it's <laughs> it's not the real Ethereum. So I don't know if this article is referring to Ethereum Lite specifically, the crypto, or if it's if it's just referring to like Ethereum Lite as like some kind of hash rate function. I don't know. I'm not a computer wizard. So I don't I don't know if that's like the actual like mechanic behind it or if they're referring to a specific crypto. My understanding is it, it's referring to like the broad one. But if I had read this article, I might, you know, I might get scared. I may be like, wait, what does this mean? I'm selling my Ethereum. Right. It, it, you know, it might. I don't think it's like a hit piece like that. I, I do think it's it's probably within Ethereum, but I got to do a little bit more research. But that's my understanding of it. Of it. OK, no, that's good to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping the, the CPU GPU situation gets better because yeah. uh that's even held back companies like Corsair because a lot of folks that want to build a high-end gaming PC, it's it's so unrealistic right now to get the, either the parts you want or if you do, you have to pay such absorbent markups. It's ridiculous right now. Does Tesla use any of these chips? Uh, Not really anymore. They used to be uh, using a lot of NVIDIA chips uh, several years ago. But from my understanding, they've gone pretty much completely to their own chipsets okay. now um, and all the new models. So. But uh, yeah, and, and there's a lot of automakers that do use NVIDIA chips, and those ones are, are constrained right now, too. And it makes me think, like, you know, sometimes I wonder with NVIDIA if they're, I don't want to say purposely trying to hold back supply, mm -hmm. but I'm like, I mean, come on, guys, you've had a shortage for a long time. Like, wh why can't we get more out there? But they're making so much money right now. And I've heard of some auto dealerships basically starting to think about the same thing, where it's like, hey, we don't have to have as many... Uh, cars at the dealership because we can get such markups right now that we uh, are, are better off, you know, making, let's say a $20,000 profit on, on a truck and, and make one versus, uh, you know, make three trucks and we make a $5,000 profit on each. And so I, I don't know, it's, it's this, the pandemic definitely changed. I think a lot of the thoughts around a lot of these businesses and, and how they could actually be more profitable by maybe yeah. producing a little less. I think, I think Apple played it so smart you know, getting away from Intel and from every other chip maker. And they're just like, listen, let's just make them in house. That was probably one of the smartest things they've ever done. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, you, you can, they control their own fate and they got the, they got the power to do it. So yeah. respect to them, you know, pulling that off. Alrighty, Alex, we're ready for next one up here. Ooh. So this is an interesting one, gentlemen. So this shows you how bearish the market really is right now. So mm. what you're looking at, this is a uh, investor sentiment on how the stock market will do the next six months. And if we go back uh, just to February 16th, that week ending, we were at less than 20% of the investor base was actually bullish on the market, which is an incredibly low number. Usually you're at 38% on average. So it's about half. Mm -hmm. And this most recent week, 23, or excuse me, 23, 53, almost 54% were bearish, mm -hmm. bearish on the market over the next six months. And usually it's about 30% of people or investors are bearish on the market. So 
my gosh, w- w- you know, when you see something like that, does it does it make you feel bullish or does it make you guys feel bearish? I would love to hear your perspective. I'm curious what historically has happened. Um, I forget what it was. There was a study I found a while ago that said that when most people were bearish, that was the best time to buy. If you could basically do the inverse of what most people were doing, you would do quite well. So I don't, I don't know. I want to see how this stats up over the last like 20, 30 years, if sentiment actually has anything to do with the market. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so, so based on this chart, so the one year, I guess the average is 38% of people usually are bullish, right? And yep. then roughly 30%. So basically like rough numbers, a third, a third, a third. So a third of people are bullish, a third of people are neutral, a third of people are bearish. Okay, cool. Yep. So, so far we have a little over half of the people are being bearish right now. Um, yeah, I guess to Graham's point, I mean, based on those studies, it shows that the market is probably going to do well if you get into the market now. But the problem is we have so many factors that are outside of normality, like with global conflict, that this this is like you can't use historical statistics in this case to try to predict the future because the world is uncertain for completely different reasons. Right. And and this could get so much worse if this escalates to like, a you know, a third global conflict. I don't want to say the word W.A.R. I don't know if like YouTube allows us to say that, but you get what I'm trying to say. So it's 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 one of those things, right? You can't you can't boil this down to a statistical analysis. It just it's not it doesn't work that way right now. Yeah, yeah. So my, my perspective on this, you know, whenever I as somebody who's been you know in the market for a long time, whenever I see that many people bearish, I naturally just automatically feel more bullish because usually I'm going to go. I'm usually going to do a contrarian move to whatever everybody else is feeling. I want to feel the opposite thing. If if it was 54% bullish, then I'm going to feel a little more bearish on the market, right? Um, because the way I think about it is if there's that many people that are bearish on this market right now, once the market starts to flip, they're going to have to bring their money back in this market, right? And they're going to flip over that bullish side and there's going to be a lot of money that inflows. That's obviously a bullish thing for, for stock prices. And um, that kind of excitement feels fuels more excitement, right? So, but yeah, it's, it's incredible. You know, this, by the way, that 19.2% number in terms of the February 16th week, the last time we were that low was actually in 2016 for reference. Mm. The last time we were dipped under 20. So, um, yeah, yeah Jeremy, for people watching, do you have any advice as far as like, how do you, con- how do you be a contrarian? Right. Cause like, I remember not having much money saved up and investing and starting and it was very difficult to be a contrarian. It, it, it's so easy to just like see the market going up and you want to chase after everybody, right? Yeah. But when the market's falling and things are scary, it's really hard to, to like tune your brain to just be the opposite and feel the opposite of what everyone else feels. Like it's not something you naturally feel. You have to teach yourself to feel that way. So yeah. are you looking at some kind of statistical like data or... Is it just like a byproduct of, of having more money and making more money and being able to take a little bit more risk? Yeah. So, I mean, there's always a ton of data I look at. This is one of just maybe a, a hundred different factors I, I, I put out there. But um, for me, it's been pretty easy to be always be a contrarian because usually whenever you, you're thinking differently in the market, especially in the stock market specifically, it's usually a, a good thing. It, if we look at time periods throughout the past, if we just look at the last 30 years of the stock market, for instance, we don't even have to go back 100 years, just the last 30 years. 
when everybody's the most euphoric and excited, you know that's usually the time to cut back on buying or potentially sell stocks. Mm-hmm. And whenever everybody's bearish and they're selling stocks and they're like, I don't want anything to do with the stock market, every single time it's a buying opportunity. And so, and that's just been true over the last 30 years and probably over the last 100 years. And so that's why it's pretty easy for me to be a contrarian because I'm like, I just understand like, if everybody's bearish, the, man, they're due to flip to the other side. We know that 54% number is not going to stay. And eventually it's going to go down to 45% and then 40% and 30%, right? Because um, that's where it usually has to go to. So um, that's kind of the way I think about it. And those are usually, you know, that's usually the best. Usually how it works is whenever most people are bearish, that's the best time to now, buy. Now, it's interesting. I'm trying to find the data on this, uh, but I found two studies. One was from Yang and Copeland, 2014 found that the investor sentiment index has a long-term and short-term asymmetrical impact on volatility. They concluded that bearish sentiment is associated with lower returns than bullish sentiment, which accelerates market return. And then another study here found something similar, that a bearish sentiment usually leads to overall lower returns, while a a bullish sentiment accelerates. uh, Hold on, I lost it here. Um, uh, well, now that I'm trying to find it, of course, no, I'm no. lost. There. But, yeah. um, oh, an accelerated excess return. But eventually yeah. things do return back to the average. So during when everyone's really optimistic about the market, the market will tend to go up higher, but eventually it reverts back down to the mean. So in yeah. the short term, it does look like it actually does have an effect. But is is it is that the cause of the effect or is it because prices are down people are less bearish um yeah i i, I just i mean this is just at a first glance here for like it, 10 seconds. and on the psychological side there uh, graham and andre you know think about it from the context of if you uh you know follow kind of the herd right into being bearish it feels great because generally during those time periods you're you're probably going through a lot of volatility you probably got a lot of bad headlines like right, right now think about all the bad headlines we got in the wall of worry inflation the fed russia ukraine um there's so many things to be fearful of right now in the market and so it almost feels better to be bearish in a negative market because you're kind of getting this reinforcing psychologically that like that's the good thing like you're smart if you're thinking that because look at all this bad news um and i think back to march of 2020 in april of 2020 as we started to climb out of the market it was nothing but bad news during that time right it was it was like there was real there was real serious talk that the global economy was going to be shut down for three years right and that we were going to have a massive you know risk potentially depression that lasted years and real estate was going to be devastated. The market was going to be devastated. Crypto was going to be devastated, everything. And ultimately, even in that time of ultra fear, it still made sense to be a contrarian and just say, you know, there's so much to worry about right now, so much to seriously be scared of. We got a once in a hundred year pandemic that just came out of nowhere, but you know what? I'm going to buy the dip. (laughs) It still made sense. True. The market. I I guess I'm I'm just trying to like, psychologically like how do i impart that on someone and and i i i don't i can only resonate with like how i got over that fear of, or of being able to think like a contrarian and man to be honest with you like the thing that helped me is just having more money to risk and, okay. and if you're somebody who doesn't have a ton of money it's very i think very difficult to go against the herd because you don't have much to risk anyway and most people you know probably don't want to gamble what little they have Mm-hmm. Uh, especially going against the herd because it just feels wrong. So 
It almost reminds me of the chicken and the egg, though, Andre, a little bit, because, you know, like what came first, because as you also had a lot more money, you also have a lot more wisdom and experience right. in the financial markets. And you have a much higher level understanding than you might have five years ago or seven years ago. Right. So it's money kind of like, comes first. Money you, comes first. Money. You, you made money first, which is what made you smarter. But okay. I guess you could say like you have to be smart to make money. But there's plenty of people that are extremely smart that make a lot of money that don't invest, that are very afraid of the markets, right? They're, they, they do go with the herd. So it's, it's like yeah. one of those things where you just have to invest and you just have to go with it and kind of learn as you go. But yeah. having a little bit more money, I think, helps. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, yeah, that, what some people get a little more risk adverse when they get more money, which is another perspective. All right, Alex, we're ready for next slide up here. Oh, this is interesting. Okay. <laughs> Global uh, hacking group Anonymous launches cyber uh, war against Russia. So my gosh, you know, I was thinking about this. I'm like, these guys are something to be feared with this, this group. I, I don't know, man. It scares me. I'm like, geez, you know, could they really, they supposedly have taken down a bunch of Russian websites and, and stuff like that. And I was just wondering like, what else could they get, could they get into? And it's uh some be fearful of uh, it's like i could say you know yeah. russia's got a russia's got so many bad things going for him and having having this group against you is just another thing jeez yeah. the one thing i i've never really i, I first thought i probably never noticed it before and maybe it's been a thing but it does seem like now uh financial uh i don't want to call it financial warfare but the uh but but impacting another country financially does seem to be a a, a pretty drastic tactic and i'm not sure if that's been implemented to this degree in the past but i bet at least from that perspective cutting them off financially that could be a tactic that we might see you know hopefully it doesn't happen again but you know we might see that in the future uh 100 yeah, that, percent. that's uh i mean that's pretty much all you have to go off of for the most part um because obviously you know you look at the united states it's like we don't want to actually you know get into a conflict here of, of any kind um, and I think most of the world doesn't. So it's like the only the only real play you have in a situation like this is to to try to hurt them economically. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, though, that's now, just a crazy yeah, the optimist in me says hurting people financially is supposed to work. Right. Because then it forces the people, the people of a country to replace their leadership, which makes sense. That's very logical. Um, but the downside or, or, or the opposite argument to that is like, you know, someone who's who grew up in Russia until I was like, I don't know, six, seven years old. Um, the people in that country have been kind of oppressed so for so long and, and they've had such like difficult lives there uh, that it's like making it worse doesn't really do much. It's like yeah. they, they've already lived in such an oppressive government and such an oppressive regime that it, it's only hurting people and it, it does not give them more courage. Like if anything, you need to empower people to be more courageous to place their leadership by educating people rather than hurting them more because they've been hurt for so long hurting them more is not going to change their mind or give them more courage. Yeah. I think this is why recently, you know, I heard somebody say it, there's no winners in war. It just, there's yeah. not because uh, whichever way you look at it, it's like, there's so many tough decisions. You look at, uh, you know, NATO, you look at the U S and in Europe, um, should they just not interfere at all? And, 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 you know, be in a situation where like, Oh, Russia, you know, you're not going to face any sanctions or any of this. And then all of a sudden Russia's like, Oh, we can do whatever we want now. You know, they're not going to have any repercussions against us. And so, uh, man, it's just, it, there's no way of really winning. It's just, uh, everybody loses. Uh, that's what yeah. I, I've come to the conclusion of. So, you know, I would love Russia to be, uh, you know, strong economically and for Russia and U S to do business and, 
everything to be a great relationship there because the way I look at it is that's a that's 100 million plus people, right? That that could be consumers. And, and if they had a bunch of money, they would be buying a bunch of stuff, right? And imagine if we worked together and they could buy our real estate and, and our stocks and things like that. But instead, uh, you know, it's just it, like literally everybody loses. That's the thing that sucks about it. It's just yeah. everybody loses. So yeah, the innocent people the most, which is unfortunate. Yes, exactly. Innocent people the most. All right, uh, Alex, uh, let's get on the next one here. Zoom stock. So mm. Look at this one, guys. So I, I pulled this up because they reported earnings. They, they fell 7%. So this stock is getting close to where it was prior to Roni Rona, which is crazy to think about when you think about how much more relevant Zoom is, how many more customers they have and all that stuff, right? Uh, where their revenues, profits are at, everything across the board versus where they were prior to Roni Rona. And um, I'd just love to hear your guys' perspective on, on Zoom. I know you guys probably don't track it on a super high level, but like, just naturally looking at this, do you think Zoom should be, you know, trading at basically similar prices to where it was prior to Rona? Or do you think something something's messed up in the market right now? I don't know. The only, the only thing I'm thinking of is they have a lot more competition. I, I think their thing is that how do you how do you make a moat around Zoom when you know other companies could go after them and just integrate very similar software? Now I use Zoom and I like Zoom. But if another company were to come out with something similar, I would have no I have, I have no obligation to Zoom to continue. And so that that's my thing is that if another company offers something better, how do you how do you protect that? Mm -hmm. um, Adobe has done a great job with their software because it's like once you kind of use their software, it's very difficult to learn something new and people are going to stick with it. But something like Zoom on a video conference, I mean, I don't I, I don't know. I just don't know enough about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I remember using MSN. Do you guys remember MSN like Messenger and they would have yeah. those videos? Yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm with Graham. Since there's no learning curve, like I don't care if it's a new software that people are using because for whatever reason, I would have no problem switching over. Um, so I don't know. I don't know yeah. what loyalty they have built into their brand or what advantage they have over anyone else that might enter the space. That's what I was thinking as well. You know, I, I think even FaceTime, I want to say I, I saw something. I'm going to have to check into this more. I swear I saw something when I FaceTimed somebody recently where I could send a link. It said send link or whatever. And I was like, what? You could send a link? And, and I'm like, well, shoot, wh why would you even need Zoom in this situation? If I could just send a FaceTime link, then couldn't we just do that? It, you know, yeah. but but then again, there's probably not as many you know, software related features. You maybe not, can't pull up presentations or something. I don't know. I feel like uh, Apple could easily implement something that could easily compete with zoom if they wanted to yes exactly andre it's like with apple with the type of money they have you know they could probably have at least something better or just as good within probably a year or two if they want so yeah. we'll see what happens with that but i agree it, it seems like they've had trouble branching their business off of just that original product and um yeah it seems like a space is just going to get more competitive microsoft apple everybody's going to want a piece of that google mm -hmm. so Alrighty, uh, Alex, we're ready for next one up here. Oh, look at this one, guys. Nordstrom. So the reason I actually brought this up is their guidance was really, really interesting. And I, I know some people are like, you know, what could happen with the economy? Uh, you know, I'm worried about consumers. So we talked about Target. Target numbers were extraordinary. But look at Nordstrom. For fiscal 2022, Nordstrom sees revenue up 5 to 7% compared with 2021 levels, which is great. Analysts were looking for about 3.7%. So Nordstrom's midpoint 6%. Analysts were at 3.7%. Um, that's just another company that I think uh, 
it creates this very confusing environment. And I think that's why a lot of people are maybe bearish or confused in the, the stock market right now, because Facebook had some troubling numbers. Uh, PayPal had some troubling guidance. A lot of the big tech companies either didn't guide numbers or guided low, including Amazon. And uh, here we are with Nordstrom and Target reporting these crazy great numbers. And everybody's just confused. Like, is our economy in trouble? Is it doing great? Or is it just everybody was forced to be home? So everybody was using computers and buying everything online. And now that's gone away. Just pent up demand, you're saying maybe that's why retail is up in comparison. Do you guys, do you guys remember we were talking about how after the pandemic, the guidances and, and earnings would be horrible after the pandemic just because of this of the pent up demand? Yeah, we got the exact opposite, though, right? Like we, we're, we're still going up or, yeah. or is only yeah. the tech sector and retail and only hype like very specific markets. Yeah, 100 percent. And even for the companies that reported uh, troubling guidance, let's call it like Facebook and a few others, even those companies are still growing. They're just not expected to grow as fast as analysts had expected them to grow. Mm. So um, but yeah, I mean, see, seeing something like this, you know, if I think about Nordstrom, I think about their traditional stores obviously cater to the upper middle class or even the wealthy. Uh, Nordstrom Rack really caters to the middle class. And so seeing their numbers extremely strong makes me at least a uh, somewhat bullish about the the economy um you know seeing something like that i think that's an important one to, to pay attention to do you think it's potentially because retail i mean they've increased their prices as a result of inflation and maybe that's partially why their their profit margins have gone up and everything or could that be a possible explanation why they're still going up it could be it could be um the question is how much pricing pricing power do they have necessarily and i'm not sure it's like a lot like why would they yeah. You know, why would they lower their prices if people are paying these prices, especially if they're paying attention but, to secondary markets and the resale value that people are selling to each other? It's like yeah. the other thing to consider, though, is that, yeah, I mean, as of earlier this morning, they were down 50 percent uh, over the last year. They've taken a huge hit. So even down 50 percent. So what? They're going up a little, you know, not a, well, I don't want to say a little bit, uh, but in the big picture, I mean, they're still below where they were a year ago. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. They're one of many, many stocks that has gotten <laughs> pounded in this market. So, um, all right, guys, overtime, what else is on your mind? What else do you guys, well, uh, Nordstrom, I want to say that Nordstrom is, believe it or not, I, uh, uh, was looking through some just like other accounts and whatnot. And, uh, what's shocking. I forgot. I even bought Nordstrom a stock at $12. <laughs> forgot about it. I had no clue. And I was looking at this and be like, what, when did I buy this? And I just remember I randomly bought it. I still have it. I forgot about what it. What did you buy? Or what's it at right now? Uh, well, now, now after it's hours probably but up. after hours, it's, uh, what is it, like $25, uh, $26. 100% return. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, but, but looking back, I mean, this is just because I have every brokerage out there to be able to use and try them. I, I have them all. Uh, but yeah. It was at one point at a high of forty-three dollars. Wow. Yeah. By the way, FTX—they yes. are getting in the stock game, are they not? I think so. I think so. I think everyone is getting in the stock game. <laughs> Everybody's getting in the stock. Who's not? Every That's a better question. Who's not getting in the stock game? It seems like every stock brokerage wants to be a crypto brokerage, and every crypto brokerage also wants to be a stock brokerage. Yeah. Everybody wants to be in everything. Like, do everything with us. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I can't you know wait. 
Apple gets into it and like all these other tech giants. It reminds me of, it reminds me of the early days where it's like, you know, you had these TV stations and like you'd have the HBOs and and then they all consolidated. You had the one Netflix, you just needed a Netflix account. You'd have them all. And then it dispersed and it's like, everyone's doing their own thing. It feels like we're in that dispersing phase where everyone's doing their own thing. And then it'll eventually reconvene and like merge into one again. And then, you know, we'll go go through another cycle. That's a good Maybe DeFi is going to be that kind of like emergence again, where it's like all these companies have their own brokerage. And then in the future, once DeFi actually gets its stuff together and it's safe, maybe it's like the common person can understand it. Maybe then that becomes a thing. But- yeah, it, it could, Andre. Uh, you know, I think I think a lot of what these companies do is whatever the market wants them to do. And so, um, you know, if you think back to a year ago, two years ago, you know, when the market was flying high, it was all about growth you know, especially in the fintech space, get as many users as you can any way you possibly can, right? Just get users through the door. And I think a lot of these, um, you know, companies now are going to have to rethink that because now also the market's shifting toward profitability. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these businesses that these companies are starting up, they're going to realize, oh, we can't make any money off this. We're actually losing money. We're hurting our EPS. And I think they're going to have to reconsider, especially if they're public companies, especially as private companies, doesn't matter as much public companies. Everybody's looking at the EPS line and they're like, well, yeah, sure. You're growing some more users over here, but you're losing a bunch of money. It's not worth it. Uh, Cut that business out. Um, So I don't know. It should be interesting. But the fintech space has been a mess in the public markets. I don't know one fintech that's been good. Every single one is probably down 50% to 80% over the past six months to nine months. You know, PayPal, Square uh, with the big guys, Affirm, um, Robinhood, SoFi, I don't know anything fintech related that's like, wow, that stock's doing amazing. They're all just gotten hammered. What about Accenture? It's not quite a fintech, but it's more of the futuristic banks. Okay. Coinbase, yeah, you, Coinbase got hammered. Yeah. Have you looked now, into Accenture? No, it's not getting hammered, by the way. I just saw that Brent Oil hit $110. $110 a barrel. Wall runs live stream. It's going up. Wow. Man, makes me think, what are gas prices going to go to? Oh, my gosh. Jeez. Oh, oh okay. yeah. So so Accenture is down too, but I'm up 100% on it just because I bought it so long ago. But it's done really well. Um, it's one of the larger banks that are dabbling in tech stuff and technology and kind of futuristic oh. tech stuff. But, yeah, Accenture, look into that. It's a really okay. good thing. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take a look at that one because, you know, I was even just thinking about Coinbase. I was thinking about Voyager. Those guys have gotten hammered as well. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, there's not much. Maybe if it's coming from a banking st- standpoint, it's done pretty well. A lot of the big banks have done well over the past right. a year, although they're starting to get hit, which takes away, you know, this is another move away from conventional wisdom. The thought is uh, interest rates are going to go up. Bank stocks are going to do good. Meanwhile, JP Morgan's down like 14% year to date, and everybody's expecting all these interest rate rises. So, yeah, that's a stock market for you. <laughs> Anything yeah. else on your guys' minds tonight you would like to chat about? Ah, I'm trying to think, Jeremy. What are you buying? What are you uh, buying? As far as Can me, uh, so I I bought some call options today. Did you? A bunch, yeah, a bunch of call options that expire in 2024. I'm not usually a much of a buyer of call options, but yeah, I bought some 2024s today and a few stocks. Um, I'm still waiting on the chef honest and plan it to report so I, i'm trying to keep some capital around it which is frustrating because there's so many stocks that are great value right now but i need to keep some money around because 
you never know if those babies will drop. I got to be ready to buy. So um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold man. And I'm just like, come on guys, come out with your earnings already. Wait. When, when, when do they report? When does tattoo yeah, all three of those stocks will likely report in the next three or four weeks. Um, they don't have specific yeah. dates yet. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's going to be important for me, obviously. And then, uh, other than that, yeah, not really making any moves. I think I got a little more VGX, uh, recently. Um, but yeah, outside of that, not, not really too much. What about you guys? Any, any, anything out of the ordinary, just index yeah, funds? I, like I actually, did. yeah, by random chance, I bought one Bitcoin, uh, in a 30 high 37 range. Wow. Oh, nice. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, I just bought one. Yeah. I just bought one. Dang. Yeah. Just, just one. I'm trying, no, I'm trying to get my, <laughs> my allegation up a little bit. How so. many do you have total so far? Uh, 10 or 11, I think. Oh, total. nice. Yeah. You got, you got a little yeah. More so you're, you're supposed to, what do you, what's the goal to get to 21? Is that the goal for Bitcoin? Um, yes. Got a million there. Busting. You want to get to 21 without going over. Yeah. <laughs> Without going over. Who's who's hitting 21 first out of you two? Probably Graham. He's closer to than me. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, see, I'm buying, I'm only buying in proportion with everything else. And because I bought so much in stocks, I've been somewhat neglecting buying as much in Bitcoin. So I wanted to balance the two out. Mm. Nice. That makes sense. I'm buying more debt right now. I'm buying as much debt as I can. Debt? What what does yeah. that mean, Andre? Um, I took out a loan <laughs> for like Why? quite a bit for for your for house. No, I didn't refinance. No, I'm I'm Why I don't want to get that? into the details yet, but I'll, okay, yeah. well, I'm buying debt. T- that's all. What what interest rate? What's is it secured or unsecured? Or you got to give it's, us some. You can't just say it's, this. It's secured. It's secured. It's secured loan for two point six percent. That's okay. all. I'll can say. you can you tell you can't tell us what it's for though, huh? For how long? I can't say it's. Dang. No, that's right. No, I can't say. You won't tell us how long if it's five years. To, come on, that makes no difference. No. My I can tell you how much it's for. I can tell you the value of the loan. You said one mil, right? One mil, yeah. Okay. So you took yeah. out a million dollar loan at a 2.6% interest rate. Yeah. Secure. I'm trying to figure out what you'd want to That's That's got to be five to 10 years. My guess is probably a five to seven. I won't say. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm interested to to find out what what you did it for though. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, yeah, I know you wouldn't buy anything dumb. You know what I mean? Like I know you're not gonna go spend a million, or at least I hope you won't, Andre. Well, how do you know I didn't buy an, an NFT for a million dollars? Shoot, are you gonna make a video about this, Andre? I will. When Friday? No, not that soon. I just want to make sure like everything is good to go first, and then. But you. But you took out the loan for something specifically? Maybe. <laughs> it could be real estate. It could be gonna, real estate. If I give any more details away, you'd know exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Board Ape. Let us start guessing. It was, a, it was a Board Ape. I'm now part of the Board Ape Club. Yeah. How Three much are they? I think they're like 250, 250,000. Okay. Yeah. Jeremy's that's- like, that's it? <laughs> that's only two Teslas. That's only two of my employees. <laughs> wow. That's Dang. only two of my employees' annual salaries. Oh, gosh. Stop it. Oh, uh, man. That's uh, well, not worth Jeremy's time. Don't worry no. about it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I think I know what it is. You took out a mill because you're going to put that mill in a stock market account, which is going to be a margin account. Then you're going to yeah. put that mill in Tattooed Chef. 
plus another mil on margin and two mil tattooed shaft. I'm not, sky, baby. I was going to say at first, I'm not Kevin. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, I'm not Jeremy. <laughs> All right. Uh, my guess is real estate. If anyone wants to guess what it is, just guess down below in the comment section. So what we do know, a million dollars, 2.6% interest rate secured. What is it for? It's for something specifically. If you don't know what it is. Comment down below. Let me know. You better be posting about this Friday, Andre. You could get a video out that fast. Nah, I can't. Like, okay. Hey, Graham, how much are those, uh, those first edition PSA 10 Charizards? uh 200 to 300 probably no i think they're like half a mil no no come on no, they're listed for half a mil on ebay yeah, I yeah that doesn't mean anything everyone's gonna list i'll list my iphone for half a million dollars i think the last known sale of it was 400 right in the 400 no yeah it was 350 at least i remember that but yeah Ooh, yeah because I'm, I'm trying to yeah, you can definitely not Pokemon. Pokemon. I've got enough Pokemon to last me for life. <laughs> no. uh, I got the holy grail that that Graham wants. No, <laughs> the most the most recent price according to PSA was two seventy. Okay. Yeah, that was it, the most that was the most recent price at Golden Auctions. Now, this does show that this one on record was a year. Oh no, 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 it wasn't a year ago. It was a few months ago. Uh, two seventy. But what was crazy is that a year ago, on March 7th, so almost exactly a year ago, $399,750, okay. $400,000. Okay. But the market has substantially cooled down. Yeah. And, I always, and I, by the way, I look on eBay every now and then when I'm bored and I just check the prices. And I got to say, prices have come down a lot. There was a first edition PSA 9 uh, Venusaur. It sold for like a few thousand dollars. What? eBay, yeah. Oh, a I PSA would... 9, not a 10. Yeah, the yeah. difference between the 9s and the 10s, though, is like a 10x price difference. Still, yeah. hold on. If, if I could find, I, you know, I could find or, my thing is that the prices come down a lot. What about what about for first edition uh, booster boxes? The real deal, oh, holy cow. Those are ridiculous, man. Those are still like 200, 300 grand. Okay. That, I, that to me has always been the ultimate investment in Pokemon, in my opinion, like a first edition, you know, booster box. Cause it's just so dang. And I mean, I understand there's still a very few like PSA 10 Charizards and things like that, but I'm like, uh, the whole box is just so. I think, I think the PSA 10 Shadowless is where it's at. It's a third, Ooh. it's a third, three times more rare than the first editions. And they're undervalued by at least three times to the first edition because collectors don't really know that, that yeah. the rarity of it is like three X more. All right, so Andre, just to give you the exact numbers, PSA 9, $2,850, which is crazy for a 9. The most recent 10 was 20 grand. Uh, and then some of the some of the ones around oh, there were 20 grand for what? For a box? No, $20,000 for the first edition Venusaur, PSA 10, oh, okay. 18 to 20. Yeah. And then the 9s were like two three thousand dollars i think all of our audience like tuned out they're like oh pokemon peace <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're still trying to hope we get to the bottom of your uh, million dollar loan here uh, on Rangle, so <laughs> all will be revealed soon enough soon enough oh man well at least we found out it wasn't pokemon that's a that's a win for us yeah yeah no. too crazy yeah <laughs> Oh gosh! Yeah. Hey, by the way, Graham, how's a how a watch how a watch is holding up? Are they as far as values there, pretty strong, Seems decent. 
Uh, surprisingly, uh, now I checked this mostly with the Rolex Daytona, and I'm shocked. The prices have been just as just as strong over the last year. I've been hacked by Russia. Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, whoa! Or it might be my battery. <laughs> Come on. I gotta zoom out. There we go. Bam. Oh wow, that looks good, Andre. Well, maybe that's a cue that we gotta wrap it up. Mm -hmm. wrap it up Graham. Fun. thank you guys so much for watching also make sure to check out ftx down below in the description sponsor today's video if you want to buy sell track or trade cryptocurrency they're down below in the description they do it less for the competition and uh no fees no minimum uh, withdrawal fees they're fantastic so i highly recommend them down below in the description make sure to also subscribe if you're not already subscribed it takes you a quick quick second just do that Thank you guys so much for watching, and until next time. Bye. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.